The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Yes, wider 
by faith I've received from above. Oh, glory, my soul is made perfect in love. My prayer has prevailed, and this moment I know the blood is applied. I am whiter. Is it so hard to be a Christian? It is without a doubt the hardest thing I've ever attempted to do in my life. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus Christ. I understand the disciples who enjoyed the loaves and the fishes and then walked away from Jesus and just said, It's too hard. It's impossible. I can't do it. A young man called me yesterday, very upset. He comes out of a Hindu background. He became a Christian. He said to me, Pastor, I'm thinking about not following Jesus anymore. I said, why? He said, because it's so hard. I'm not getting what I need in my life. And if I do what's right, things should work in my life in a way that makes my life easier. Instead, after I made the decision to follow Jesus, everything has gotten much more difficult in my life. I don't like this. I think God is not fair. Why isn't God blessing me? I tried to reason with him and point out the many blessings that God has brought into his life, but he was adamant in saying, but non-Christians, friends I have, they're having everything, and they're not following Jesus. I tried to talk to him about this as a war zone. Nothing made any sense, and finally I just had to go down there. I had to say, Look, we live in a war zone, and when you made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, there was a target put on your back, and the devil is determined that he will destroy you and cause you to curse God and die. It is true, following Jesus has been the hardest thing I've ever attempted to do. And then I read a passage of Scripture like this. Psalm 118, 
Verse 15, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. And in that, many years ago, I found the secret for why it had been so hard for me to follow Jesus. I thought it was about me exercising my willpower. I thought the Christian life was about me white-knuckling it and turning away from sin when I didn't want to turn away from sin. I thought following Jesus meant my hand had to be lifted up on high. No, the Scripture says the Lord's right hand is lifted high. The tents of the righteous, in that tent there is shouts of joy. There's not shouts of joy in the tent of the man or the woman who is struggling and trying as hard as they can to be good or trying as hard as they can to follow Jesus. If that persists over a period of time, the, the person will finally say, look, Jesus just has to take me like I am. And then the person is tempted to settle into kind of a desolate, desperate place of Depression, anger, bitterness. Look how unfair God has been to me. Look how unfair my boss is to me. Look how unfair my wife or my husband is. Pretty soon our heart is filled with anger and bitterness and rage. And all the time we want to just follow Jesus. But we find it's impossible. We can't do it. Now please... Understand when I say to you, you can try as hard as you can try, and it will not cause you to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is a choice. And we follow Jesus then by the power of the blood shed on Calvary. It's not something you do white-knuckling with your willpower. Salvation is a free gift. But righteousness, real righteousness, is also a free gift. Jesus gives us this free gift when we ask him and when we are born again. Now, Psalm 118 goes further. In verse 17, our psalmist writes, I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. This is a review of yesterday as we pick up our study today of walking in righteousness. Literally, in the Hebrew, verse 18 says, The Lord has beaten, beaten. Literally, the Lord has given me a double beating. Now, why would the Lord give me a double beating? For the same reason, he gave Job over to the monsters that Job finally had to admit he had no power to control. He had no power to change. He could not tame them. 
Some of you may have a son or a daughter. You know they're living in sin, and you can't stop them. One mother very wisely said to me, My son is very, very angry. My son is living with his girlfriend. And then he comes home. Pastor, I want him to follow Jesus, but I can't make him follow Jesus. I agreed with her. What you can do is exactly what she said she did. She said, I cooked dinner. And I said to him, I've cooked dinner for you. You're welcome to have it if you want it. She said, I'm just going to love him. Because she can't control him. She can't make him do what is right. What she can do is love him and entirely give him over to Jesus Christ. She can live the life of love and compassion and righteousness before her son until finally her son turns in repentance at the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. She is on the right track. She is doing exactly what a Christian mother needs to do when a 20-plus-year-old son or daughter is in full-blown rebellion. Now, the same is true for you and for me. God brings a chastening. He brings a beating into my life so that I will see that this monster that is confronting me, I have no power to control. If I try, it will devour me. Now, I can look at that monster, whether it's internal or external, and I can worry about it. I can worry myself sick. I can always be thinking about how it's wrong, how it shouldn't be happening. How this, how that. It's not fair. It's not right. And literally, I've known some of you who are listening to have worried yourself to the point of being sick. One mother said to me, I used to try always to control my son. I used to argue with him about the Christian faith. I I'd argue with him about what he was doing with his time, how he was behaving with his girlfriend. I would argue. I would try to make him do what is right. And she said, all I did was drive him away. Now, she says, her son comes by and wants to just talk with her. Used to be that she was always trying to reach out to talk to him. But now, he comes to talk to her and she was charged by a family member with no longer caring about her son. She said, oh, no, I love him so much I've given him into Jesus' hands. His life is in the hands of Jesus Christ. And I'm trusting Jesus to work everything out in his heart and in his life, and I'm just going to love him and be here for him. I said, Mama, You're a good mama. 
In other words, we face these beasts and we can be so concerned about them, they can devour us. Sickness. I saw a man today who has gone through a horrendous experience physically, and now he's very limited. But I want to tell you, there was a look of joy on his face. There was a look of expectation on his face, passionate about Jesus. He wanted to talk about the Lord. The light of Jesus was on his face. Why? Because he's turned everything over to the hands of Jesus. And he trusts Jesus with his life. And the scripture says, The Lord has beaten me twice, but he has not given me over to death. And then verse 19 says, Open for me the gates of righteousness. Righteousness. Innocence. Rendered. Made righteous. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. What's the gate? Getting beaten, being disciplined by God, having these monsters come after me, recognizing I can't handle them, sometimes very painfully so because I've tried to handle them and I couldn't. Do you know why it was so hard for me to follow Jesus? Because I thought I had to do it. I thought Jesus forgave me for my sins And now I had to force myself to live a righteous life. And I utterly failed. I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle my temper. As a young man, I had a ferocious temper. I'd rather fight than do anything else. And I was sitting in in an auditorium listening to a preacher. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And I began to cry out to him, and say, I can't handle this anger. The Holy Spirit very quietly said, give it to me. I gave him my anger, and it was gone. It wasn't like now it was pushed down, or now it was somehow, I had a stranglehold on it, and it would break loose every once in a while. No, there was a There was a breaking. There was a cleansing in my spirit, and the anger was gone. That's what Jesus will do for you. But he usually has to bring us into this place of beating, flogging, recognizing these circumstances I cannot manage. And often we wait until the crisis has grown very large, when if we had simply turned it over to him at the beginning, our life would have been much simpler and much easier. But we had to hang on to it and prove that we could handle it. And finally, we had to recognize that we could not handle it. 
We just couldn't do it. It had to be done by the power of God. And again today, I wonder if there are some of you who are facing, like Lynn was yesterday, something that she cannot get her hands around, something that's too big for her, either an internal issue or an external issue. And you don't know what to do with it. You've tried, you've tried, you've tried, you've tried until you're sick of trying. I'm here today for you to to call. I'll be happy to pray with you. I'll continue teaching if you don't call. But if you'd like to call, I'm here to pray with you. Our phone number is 877-534-0780. Have you struggled to follow Jesus? Have you struggled with this issue of righteousness? Are you struggling now? Are there issues that you're facing with your family or with your work, with finances, that are just too big? You can't, you can't manage it. If you need me to pray, I'm here to pray with you. 877-534-0780. And for those of you who are watching on videotape on YouTube, you see, I'm in a different studio today, and the mic sounds just a little different than normal. I came down for a meeting at Weva today to sign a contract for another year on Pilgrim's Progress. So I'm doing the broadcast today from their new studios in Arlington. So it'll sound and look a little different. But the phone number is still the same. And Brother Kevin is sitting there waiting to take your call. 877-534-0780. I don't see any calls popping up. Then I'm going to continue. And I know you probably won't call if I continue, but I can't let this time go. These issues are too big and too precious. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. Now, what is the greatest battle for entering the gates of righteousness? Now, this is the heart of it. Pride not wanting to give control of my life to Jesus Christ. You're willing to be friends with Jesus. You're willing to listen to this broadcast. But you don't want Jesus to have total power and authority over your life. And you're unwilling to receive only from the hand of Jesus what he wants to give to you. And that is the secret of the covenant to enter the gates of righteousness. The covenant with Jesus that you will only receive from his hand what he chooses to give you. When you make that covenant, 
You will respond with shouts of joy and victory. It will resound in the tents of the righteous. And you will say, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. You can't say those words or sing that song until you recognize that you have entered the gates of righteousness, not by your strength or by your power, but by placing everything in the hands of Jesus Christ. When you make that covenant, everything changes. Now, in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he opens the chapter, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those are the witnesses described in chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders whatever you have your arms wrapped around will hinder you. And the sin that so easily entangles, that's all of the sin that stands around you, waving at you, saying, hey, choose me, choose me, I'm for you. I'll make you feel good. I'll take away your hurt. Choose me. He's saying, throw them all off. Don't let them entangle your feet. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is the one who washes you of your sin, and he is the one who makes you righteous. Jesus is the one who will win the battle. He goes on, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, the Lord's education, the school of the Holy Spirit. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines, trains, those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. The literal meaning of that word in the Greek, punish, is literally flog. He flogs everyone he accepts as a son. Why would God punish us? Because we insist on coming to God in our own strength and in our own power and think that by worrying and by trying By struggling, we can make ourselves righteous. This is a work of God in our hearts. The Christian faith is extremely difficult because it demands that I be crucified with Christ. It demands that I be born from above, as Jesus said to Nicodemus. These are not just poetic interesting words. These are literal descriptions of what must happen for you 
as you utterly forsake your own strength and your own ability, your own agenda, your own desires, and you say, Jesus, I want you. Now, what is so painful is that most Christians that I know, so-called, I question whether they're true Christians, they want the entertainment of the world. They want all of the activities of the flesh. They want the money and the power. They want the new Mercedes or BMW or hot sports car. They want all of these things to add to their life so that they believe these toys will make them happy. Now, I'm not saying there's something wrong with driving a beautiful car, even a hot sports car. My issue is, are you doing this because you're building your own heart up, your own ego up, you're building your kingdom, your foundation? Or are you doing this in order to bring glory to Jesus Christ? Are are you a living testimony that you have gone through the beating, and the beating takes place this way usually? The Lord will remove from us that which we are worshiping other than Jesus Christ. And the pain caused by the removal of that which we love other than Jesus Christ will take us into what at the National Prayer Chapel we often refer to as the desert or the prison. Joseph was adored by his father. He was dressed in a robe of many colors, and it was obvious that the birthright belonged to him. And so he was free to bring bad reports about his brothers He was an executive in the family before he had earned that right by humbleness of heart. The Lord loved Joseph and wanted to use him to bring the the family of Jacob into the womb of Egypt from which they would be birthed as a mighty nation. But first, God had to deal with Joseph's heart. So the first thing he did was put him in slavery. And then he became so self-sufficient where everything was under his power. God took it one step further and put him in jail. Put him in prison unjustly. And he protested his innocence. He even tried with the servants of Pharaoh to get them to go to Pharaoh and argue for his release that he had been unjustly treated, and God gave him two more years in jail for that. In other words, the beating, the suffering that Joseph went through was to humble his heart and prepare him to be the servant of the Almighty God, that he might be used by the power of God for the delivery 
of the children of Israel. God does not willingly bring upon the sons of Adam suffering, but he will bring upon us what is necessary. He will put us in a dead-end job. He'll put us in a place where we feel like we are accomplishing nothing and our life is being wasted away. He will bring us into all manner of circumstances where all we can do is say, I can't handle this. I'm dying. And then in humility, we're prepared after that beating, maybe lasting for years, to finally turn to the Lord and say, Lord, would you take over? I can't do this. And it's not simply words that we speak. It is the reality of our heart where we honestly know we can't do anything about this. We cannot handle it. And God is not coming. We are not asking God to come and help us handle it. We are saying, God, I can't handle it. Jesus, this is impossible for me. You're going to have to do it if it's going to be done. I'm in that situation right now. I have a number of very crucial issues in my life that need resolution. I cannot resolve those issues. One of those issues is that as a single pastor, it's very difficult to have a congregation. And I've been standing by faith over the last several years that Jesus would bring to me the wife of his choice. I can't make somebody come and be my wife. Are you kidding me? And you don't pick wives off a tree in the backyard. Wives are precious gifts that Jesus gives to a man. And so I've simply said to the Lord, Lord, I can't choose a woman to be my wife. Now, there have been a number of women who have looked very fondly at me and and made approaches, and I've backed quickly away because they were not the Lord's choice. I know that the issue of a wife will be resolved in my life, not by my going to a dating service, but my spending time in the prayer closet, lifting my hands to Jesus, and standing on his precious promises and knowing that it is entirely in his hands, and I can do nothing to affect the outcome of that. Now my heart is at peace. Now I'm not walking around looking and saying, Is there anybody here? No, I don't do that. My eyes are on Jesus. It says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man, so that 
you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, I've not grown weary and I've not lost heart. Why? Because Jesus is in charge of my life. My eyes are on Jesus. My eyes are not on a potential wife. My eyes are not on even going to the FM dial for radio. I know I can't make that happen. But I know Jesus will open that door as he chooses to open it, and we will move to the FM dial. And then we will move to a national FM dial. I know this is going to happen because the Lord has told me it will happen. I can't make it happen. This is something Jesus must do. There are a number of other key areas that I won't talk about personally. But I know that only Jesus has the power to deliver me. And then there are men and women whom I love very much. And I pray for them because I know they are facing things that they cannot reconcile, things that they cannot establish. So I pray for them, because I want them to have the victory. I want them to walk in freedom in Jesus. I want them to have the victory. Now, I'm going to again give the phone number. I'd be happy to talk or pray with any of you. Our phone number again is 877-534-0780. You're listening to Pastor Ray Greenley on Pilgrim's Progress. I know that a key part of making progress in this journey with Jesus is absolutely surrendering everything to him. I remember when I was a child, that wonderful song, I Surrender All. I remember many times singing that at camp meeting. And finally, the words of that wonderful song began to sink deep into my soul. And I said, everything, Lord? He answered, everything. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Jesus I freely give. That's where the joy in walking as a Christian is to be found. Not in the midst of the struggle. Not in the midst of the beating. It's in the surrender to Jesus. It's giving him total authority and total power over my life. That's where the power is. Now, if I look further, 
endure hardship as discipline. That's all hardship, by the way. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, well, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. See, there is a purpose to God bringing suffering into our hearts and into our lives for bringing us face to face with these monsters. He knows that holiness only flows out of suffering, and suffering is caused by completely surrendering our heart to Jesus Christ. That's the issue of the suffering. Verse 11, Hebrews 12, verse 11, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. As you give your life into the hands of Jesus Christ, as you covenant with him that you will receive only from his hand what he chooses to give you, as you covenant to not walk back into that bitterness, as you covenant that you will no longer give way to angry, wicked words, you will no longer scream at your kids or jerk them around, you'll no longer yell at your wife or your husband, You'll no longer slam the doors. As you make covenants with Jesus and ask him now to change your heart, as you make a covenant with Jesus that you will no longer grumble at work. Yes, Jesus is extremely displeased by our grumbling. Grumbling means we don't believe God is in charge. We believe we could do a better job than God is doing. So grumbling is unbelief 101. So he calls us to stop our grumbling. Now these things cause pain because we have salved our sin, our wickedness, with things of the flesh, so that we could get through, we could get by, we could handle what was coming. Instead of turning that monster over to Jesus and trusting Jesus to totally handle that problem. So the suffering is produced by our own wickedness. The suffering is produced by our own decision to be in charge of our life. He says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. 
How do you strengthen your feeble arms? In the prayer closet. Reading the scriptures. Telling the Lord how you feel and giving it all to Him. And as you do that, your feeble arms will grow strong and your weak knees will be made strong. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. In other words, your disobedience to Jesus, your grumbling, your worrying only causes a block in another person's life who is weaker than you and causes you to stumble. He says then, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, what is holiness? Hagios. It means to be utterly set apart for a special purpose. What is that special purpose for which your life is to be set apart? To be a do-loss slave of Jesus Christ. To be utterly given to him. To receive only from his hand what he chooses to give you. To not go down that angry rat hole one more time. To not walk in that bitterness one more time. To not go to that lust one more time but instead to turn aside and say, Jesus, I can't handle this. I'm giving it to you. And as you do that, your walk becomes peaceful. You begin to have a pleasant experience with Jesus. The battle is over. Jesus has won. You have given yourself into his hands, and he then begins to build into your heart Holiness, righteousness. The gates of righteousness are opened and you're invited to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance to the of the eldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could not bring about a change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. The call of God is for you to be made holy not by your white-knuckling it, not by your trying hard, but by your dying out to yourself and your agenda and totally surrendering it to Jesus Christ and allowing him to handle the monsters of your heart and of your life. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Grace is not a blanket that covers our sin. Grace is that wonderful, unmerited favor of God 
that teaches us to say no to unrighteousness, that calls us in love away from the power of darkness, that calls us to serve the mighty King of heaven. I'm getting the high sign. We have just five minutes left in this broadcast. What are you going to do with the monsters that you're facing? What are you going to do with the struggles of your life? Are you going to spend your time worrying, trying to handle for yourself these difficult tasks? Or will you turn them over to Jesus? Will you allow him to rule? in your hands. What do you want to do with it? How will you choose? Almighty God, I plead today for my brothers and my sisters. I plead that you will come in power and hear the cry of their heart and draw them in your love, in your mercy, in your grace to lay their lives down for you, Jesus. To make the decision today that this is much too big for them to handle. That they will put into your hands all of the issues of their heart and that you will make them righteous. For, Lord, I know you forgave us our sins freely. And I know you also make us righteous freely. Lord, make us holy today. Separate us from every unclean thing, doing whatever is necessary in our lives. Separate us from the works of the devil. Lord, give us great courage and confidence. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to invite you today to to go to our webpage. It's nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. I also would like to invite you to come to our worship service. We meet every Sunday at 12 o'clock noon, and we're located at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you the address. It's 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. I'd also love to hear from you. If the Lord is prompting you to give to help cover the cost of this radio broadcast, would you send your check or cash to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address is the National Prayer Chapel, 
Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's all the time we have for today. My brother, my sister, I'm eager to hear from you. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. With Jesus Christ.